0: to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick.
1: And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Define the Relationship podcast. This is episode... Six, and we are actually dealing with chapter five of Pete Denz's book on how the ba- how the Bible actually works. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, I'm Darlene,
1: and I'm Ted,
0: and we're kind of trying to muddle our way through this, <laughs> having some fun.
1: Yeah, and and maybe. Maybe it would be good to just describe a little bit about what we're trying to do here. What
0: are we trying to do?
1: What are we trying to do here? Um, (laughs) Often on podcasts, you'll see somebody being in an interview chair, asking questions of people who are very, very, very knowledgeable about topics. And and then there's a conversation about the topic. And that's not what we're trying to do. (laughs) That is not what's going to happen here. What you have here is you have two people that are very comfortable asking questions of each other and trying our best to share our understanding of what's going on, in this case, with the with the book that we are reading together. And uh, at times we have something to add in terms of our own thinking and learning. But other times all we add is uh, the questions that we have and um, our own sense of what's going on here. So, mm. uh, so and be, we're kind be, of...
0: We're kind of going back and forth in asking each other questions and kind of um, approaching it very conversational style. So, um, can I start?
1: You can start. Yes. Okay.
0: Um, I was going to mention also at the start that if if you are interested in listening to Pete and's talk instead of listening to us talk or both. Um, he has a podcast called the Bible for normal people and he gets into more of the nitty gritty of, you know, some of the stories, for instance, how Pete ruins Exodus, you know, gets very into details, but explains them in such beautiful ways.
1: And, um, I just would, would add to that, that, the specific types of things that we've been talking about over the last number of episodes in the chapters that we've been talking about, um, he gets into those very issues in a much more granular way. And um, there's a lot of really interesting learning that comes out of that. And so uh, we're not able to get at things at that level, nor do we have the expertise like P. Denz does in those those areas. So,
0: And even in this chapter... Um... You know, maybe there's, there's things, if you're reading along, that you don't really have a lot of background of, like about, you know, the Babylonian exile or the the kingdoms and about what, what is all, what are the, all all the intricate uh, details that are going on in some of these stories. And, you know, we'll maybe... I'll get you to summarize some, some of that for us, uh, today, Ted. Um, but really there's, well, I want to reiterate that, that Pete seems to be, he's kind of like repeating in some ways the same thing. And it, it's ha- it it has hopefully an effect of like, are you hearing it yet? Like, are we reimagining we it's it's our task it's our responsibility it's our invitation to reimagine what God is doing in every in every uh time, and that the bible is is a perfect example of a people that continues to reimagine and reinterpret and 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 that this is part of the the beauty of the ambiguous, diverse, and um, um, ancient book that we have. So in some ways, it may feel like he's just kind of hammering home the same stuff. But in every chapter, he's looking at um, some different... He's kind of going deeper into it and talking about various stories. And so... Um. I don't know, do you wanna maybe talk about some of the things that struck you in this in this chapter?
1: yeah, I think just on the surface the one of the things that strikes me again is um just how much time we are spending with the metaphor of parenting in this book so far. here we are in chapter five, and um once again, Pete is picking up some of his own parent talking about his own parental experience, and in, in this case, talking about the fear uh, and the and the trauma of uh, the fear of, of having the trauma of losing a child, and that's a that's a major fear for many parents, and it's a fear that um, unfortunately for some gets lived out, and um, he uses that fear to. Um, be a jumping off point to thinking about the psyche or the mindset of the people of Israel as the Bible is getting put together. And so um, you might have picked up in the reading of this book so far is that one of the contentions um, of Old Testament scholars or scholars of the Hebrew Bible, as it's sometimes talked about, the contention is that stories are being written not as sort of Uh, real-time accounts of what's happening. We don't have Moses or Joshua or um, King David putting down history of what's happening at the time it's happening. These are often accounts that are coming many, many centuries later, and they're being put together to serve, um, serve to answer or to wrestle with the major questions that the people of Israel have. And in this case, um, bringing about the idea of the fear of losing a child is to get into the psyche of the people of Israel who find themselves exiled from the land that was promised to them and that they were going to be a holy nation and they were going to find success and prosperity in the promised land. Um, this is one of the big themes of, of the Old Testament. But they are living the reality of no longer being in the promised land, they've been conquered by foreign adversaries, and now they're trying to come to grips with, okay, we've always been told these stories that we are the people of God, God is going to prosper us, but we seem to be in a situation where that is not the reality. And so um, so that's where the, this chapter starts. And I think the thing I would like to highlight about about that is, um, I don't have the the direct quote, but he basically basically makes the the statement that um, if it wasn 't for the exile of the people of Israel, which he says is the defining trauma of the people of Israel in the in the Hebrew Bible, we would not have the Bible as we know it that is is that much of the Bible the Old Testament that we have today. Comes out of people wrestling with the reality of exile and of being conquered by foreign foreign peoples, and um, and so um, in in the chapter he goes to show how you can see this perspective being um, this perspective uh, shaping how the stories get brought together in the Bible, and then also how. Um, there's some different perspectives of similar experiences of exile that show us what seem to be contradictory understandings of things that we would say is the history of Israel, but that actually this is coming out of different questions being asked at different times. Yeah, and and
0: can I just read? Yeah, for sure. I'll read that one little quote that you were um, talking about. Um, So... Yeah, that without the crisis of exile, the Bible, as we know it, wouldn't exist. And he goes on to say, we've lingered here in this exile for a few pages because it's the changing circumstances that brought the ancient Judahites to their knees and forced them to engage their past and reimagine God for their present and future. And to tell their story like it's there's a there's an unfolding story and there's um there's a lot of threads in the ongoing story that evolves right in history and including the bible and then there's there's changes so we like sometimes we look for these these threads that are similar but then sometimes we're also noticing that Oh this is this is a change and um in this case um the people of God they have to account for the crisis and kind of I guess kind of decide what what is the story what that we are living in what so that we can move to a towards something better.
1: Yeah and I this this reminds me as you you talk about the story and I we haven't spent any time talking about this and it's not something that ends talks about but I think it's important to talk about is that part of the the ancient part of the Bible the like that we we talked about before um, is that this is a history and a story of a people that developed um, over such a long period of time that even the ways that people communicated primarily shifted during that time. And so um, I don't have all the numbers and the different ages and all that kind of stuff uh, kind of at my fingertips, but there was definitely a movement from more what they would call oral cultures or basically storytelling cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the stereotype of a tribal people who are moving around, around a campfire and um, telling stories about, how the universe was created and, uh, what gives order to life in the, in the people that are a part of that tribe. And, uh, and so some of these stories were no doubt shared via storytelling for a long time. And then it's only in later times when writing and, uh, that type of thing became more of a, more of a way of communicating that these things started to become codified or put put down. And so there are old stories that are being gathered together. And maybe in some cases, there's many different traditions of stories, because you have a diverse groups of people coming together, and they remember the story slightly different. And um, you get some of this flavor. And I think this is part of part of that. Um, So um, I think this is the reason I'm I'm saying that is that uh, part of recognizing like what's the purpose of somebody many hundreds of years later putting down a story which is basically ancient history to them. Um, it's all about trying to help a community, a people understand who they are, what their identity is and what it means to live wisely and move forward. And, and, and more, most importantly, how to, to orientate themselves to the God that they worship and how God is engaged with them in relationship and how God is relevant to them right now. So, And
0: why is it important that we continue to, I think, uh, re- tell that story or read that story? Because, you know, some of the books that Enz is talking about in this chapter are like, you know, First First and Second Chronicles, um, Kings... Samuel, like those are hard books to read. They're Mm -hmm. filled with things that have like honestly nothing to do when, if you're just reading it, it's like this, like what does this have to do with anything that matters to me? Mm -hmm. So for me, it still always comes back to this. So so why do we want people to read this?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I mean, this, this is now i'm speaking from my own opinion i think that part of the part of the energy and the 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 aliveness i don't know if that's the right the right word of the scriptures that are quite old is recognition that although we are in the 21st century and we are many thousands of years removed from some of these stories that we still see ourselves as being in the line or the tradition or that history. Like this is, um, you know, and to put it kind of simply, like these are our people in the sense that um, they identify Yahweh, God, God is the only God, these kind of things. These are sort of significant, central beliefs of us as people who follow, follow Jesus too, that... Um, we are a part of this story, and um, we need to look back, in some cases very far back, to think through what it was like for people to walk with God through life. And And we might see situations that are very, very different than ours, but at other times we might say, hmm, there's, some, there's actually some universal themes here. Like we're going to probably talk a little bit about the story of Jonah in the book of Jonah and also... Uh, which deals with the people of Nineveh, and also he highlights uh, probably another person who talks about Nineveh, which we don't know as much about, the prophet Nahum. And um, yeah, you let's, know, the,
0: let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Actually, let's talk about Jonah and the whale. And, it's not a whale, Darlene. I know, right? It's
1: not a whale, jo- Darlene. But it's that, a f- big
0: fish. But that, but that brings me to to something else because you've used the word history a mm-hmm. few times. So let's talk about jonah and nineveh and the story um the contrasting story in Naam as well okay
1: so well i think most people who have any familiarity with the bible will have some knowledge of the story of jonah and the whale has its Often talked about, although there it is not a whale that is uh, a whale, which is a mammal. Um, it's actually a large fish, which is not a mammal. And does it uh, really
0: matter? Like, well,
1: um, I think it does matter because we sometimes have knowledge about the Bible, which is more folklore about the Bible or kind of cultural understandings about the Bible. And they're not actually what the Bible is saying, so um but in that
0: sense this that that's kind of the point that I'm making in a way, because you know this story is given to us not as history but as um allegory or as a parable uh so fish, whale that seems like a exercise in missing the point, yeah, maybe. Maybe it is.
1: Um, I mean, I would argue that the point is, have we really read closely what is being talked about? Like um, there's this this famous sort of understanding about uh, people thinking like, well, God helps those who help themselves. Like that's somehow a part of the biblical record, that statement. And it's, it's more, I think maybe Benjamin Franklin was probably responsible for that quote more than, it can't be found in the Bible, and so we might start to think that what it means to understand the Bible and live based on the Bible, it really is just us taking our own perspective and sort of laying it overlaying on the Bible. So sometimes it's important just to point out that, you know. Let's get the details right, at, at least. There's right. enough contradictions in the details. We should also not avoid, but we should also get the details right. Yeah. And no, there was not three wise men. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible about that. <laughs> and, you know, we can talk about all those things. But anyway.
0: Okay. But but before, I know you want to jump in. Okay. But before you jump in, I have this quick question for you. So you grew up listening, hearing this story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, just your blank response what is the, what's the message? What's the, what's the punchline?
1: What's the punchline? The punchline. That you grew up with. I don't know what I grew up with. I, I actually have no idea what, what I grew up with in the story. I can only tell you what okay, I, I'll, what I view as the story. You want, you, I, do you want, do you have something?
0: I want to answer it.
1: Okay. You should answer your own question then.
0: So Jonah and the whale is about obeying God.
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah. I agree with you. That jogs my memory.
0: Don't run away from God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And don't run away from God's calling.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now jump into this story in the way that Pete kind of highlights it.
1: Yeah. And so certainly um, rejecting God's call, not answering God's call is a large theme in the story of jonah Um, the basic story of jonah is jonah gets a call from god to go to the people of nineveh what we understand about nineveh is they were a very very wicked very violent very um just just an awful nation of people and um and suggest that, you know, for the people of Israel, they would have the same sort of ideas about this people, like people would have about Stalinist Russia, mm-hmm. or Hitler's Germany, um, or maybe there's some more recent examples of the, you know, the, the type of, um, just, there would not be any sort of sense that these were people that were worth saving. It would be better if they were wiped off the face of the earth. And so the call to Jonah is that he is to go to the Ninevites and to basically preach what God has asked him to say, which is to say, if you do not change your ways, you do not repent, I will destroy you. That's the message. Yeah. And Jonah's response is, I have no interest in doing that message because I don't, I don't really that. want the people of Nineveh to change their ways. I would prefer that they just get destroyed. Mm-hmm. I don't need to give them any second chances. And so of course, Jonah flees the call, goes in the opposite direction, ends up in the belly of a fish, which makes the point that God is not going to let go of the call on Jonah very easily. You know, it's, some some way, will Jonah will have to find his way back to the calling that he has. He gets the message that he is to go to the Ninevites, and he does go to the Ninevites. Um, quite obviously under duress, <laughs> not a willing servant of God, but willing to do the the absolute minimum. Speaks what could be described as the lamest um, message of inviting people to repentance in Nineveh that was possible. He didn't really get very creative. He didn't really work on his technique, what would be the most effective. He just said, I'm supposed to preach it. I'm preaching it. And the story tells us that the Ninevites did repent and they were saved.
0: And Jonah was pissed,
1: and Jonah was not very happy. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, so interestingly enough, and and I and I mean, I have to admit that I wasn't aware of the prophet Nahum. Um, Jonah is considered one of the prophets of Israel. He's, Jonah's got a book, the prophet Jonah, and Nahum is also another prophet. You'll see, and there's a number of prophets. I don't know the, the exact number. But um, Nahum, like uh, like Jonah, there's no love lost for the Ninevites, and uh, in the book of Nahum, there's quite a bit of um, there's quite a bit of writing the, about what God thinks about the Ninevites, and uh, what ends up happening, according to the book of Nahum, is uh, Nine- Nineveh does get destroyed. And Nahum actually celebrates it. So um, I'm trying to find uh, where that scripture was. Um, The book concludes and says, uh, this is from Nahum 3, verse 19. There is no assuaging your hurt. Your wound is mortal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? And as as Pete ends translated, God destroyed Nineveh and everyone cheers as if it were the golden goal in the World Cup Finals. A golden goal for you hockey fans is just a sudden death overtime goal. So um, so two prophets of God we have, one we're much more familiar with. Um, And understandably written at different times of history. So some people believe that Nahum was written first um, and and was about at the time of the fall of Nineveh. So they're thinking somewhere like 612 years before the Common Era. And um, this was written to people who were in Babylonian exile, I believe, is is my understanding. Um, Jonah is written 74 years later and has a very different picture of, of, the, of Nineveh. Um, I mean, obviously, the same picture that there was cruelty and this was a wicked place, but there is a story about repentance. There's a story about the worst being able to walk back from that perspective and is able to actually come back to God and that God respects that. Um, and some people think that, although it's quite clear that Nahum was talking about something that had actually happened in history, the fall of Nineveh is understood to be a historical event. There is corroborating evidence in archaeological and historical records that are outside of the Bible that this was a place. Um, And in fact, there's no evidence that Nineveh, um, what happened in the book, the story of Jonah ever really happened to Nineveh. There's this story about Nineveh repenting. And so some people think, well, this isn't really history. It's almost more like a parable. It's kind of like... you know is Jonah even a historical character or is it is it kind of like the type of story that Jesus would say about you know there being two sons of a father and the one son decides to to get the inheritance and leave the parable of the prodigal son um so so yeah, so um there's so obviously that's... something different going on when these two perspectives that are, are, are we are left with in the Bible are talking about the Ninevites.
0: And so and so just to push that further then, what um, what is our invitation as readers of the Bible? Because I think Pete is also trying to to say that every time we pick up from the second that we pick up our Bible, um, we are entering into a wisdom exercise. You know mm-hmm. and we're 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 drawn into it not only as something from the past, but for um the same questions of trying to understand who we are, who God is, and how is God active in our um, in our time, in our life, in our
1: yeah space, yeah, so interestingly enough and suggests that part of the difference in perspective between Nahum, which you would kind of describe as being sort of a more harsh perspective, that harsh perspective came out of a people who were living in exile. They had been ripped out of their homes and brought to a different place. They were being oppressed. They were being controlled. There was no love lost for people who they deemed to be wicked and people who had treated them poorly. And so the perspective comes out of that lived experience that was very real to them. But Jonah seems to be written after people had already started returning from Babylonian exile. And so they were back in Um, the promised land, they were starting to resettle. And they also had an experience of living and becoming a part of the society that they had been exiled to. So it's kind of like, um, in some ways, it's like, well, you know, in the first years of being in that situation, there's a bit of like, well, you're, you're complaining, you're unhappy, you can remember what it used to be like, and you want to go back there. And then at some point, you you make a shift. I mean, we've had a very similar experience during COVID-19 and, and self-isolation and all this kind of stuff. At first, it was very, very difficult and hard and we didn't know what was going to all happen and how bad it would be. And um, everything just sort of was just another trauma to people as they were working at things. But eventually, you know, people start making the best of the situation and realizing that, yeah, well... You know, I wasn't able to go on that trip I had planned, but, you know, I'm with my family in my house, and we can have fun playing games with people that are across the world on Zoom, and we can, you know, we can just make the best of it. And we start and to actually develop... actually going a,
0: to work, isn't that, you know, I can yeah. work from home. This is kind of, you start to adapt.
1: Yeah. And so he says that, I'll, I'll actually read what he says. So while in Babylonian cont- captivity, the Judahites, which... um He explains the difference between the northern and the southern kingdom. This is the southern kingdom, the people of Judah, no doubt got to know their host quite well. They raised children and buried relatives there. Familiarity breeds acceptance. And when the Persians gave the all clear for the Judahites to return home, many actually decided to stay behind. In fact, Babylon would become a center of Jewish life and thought for the next thousand years. And so the writer of Jonah told the story of God's expansive mercy for non-Israelites. In other words, maybe God cares for other people too. And the author used as his illustration a clearly fictionalized account of their long-gone ancient foe to express his newfound belief, or at least hope, that God is more inclusive than they were giving God credit for. Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: That's a narrative of the story that I had really never considered.
1: Yeah. And it's quite interesting too because ironically... (laughs) Jonah is such a jerk in this story. Yeah. Like he is not the diplomatic, cross-cultural missionary who learns to love the people that he's living with and learn their language. He's just...
0: He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want mercy for them. He doesn't want to go to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so there's... I mean, there's something really beautiful going on here in the different voices that are talking about the same people and this a similar experience. And between the two, there is this progression from you know what, our God is our God, and our God said, God, our God wants to protect us, and our God wants to defeat our enemies. Like this is kind of the message of that and God will save us, and God will take care of us. And the second one is more like God will, God is our God, and God will take care of us, but God is so expansive in God's mercy, not only for us, but for others, and there's room for those who are not a part of the people of Israel. And so there's a, I would say, a, an expanding, newer message of who God is and the character of God that is begin is being developed. And um
0: but yet as again back to as, as a child kind of growing up hearing this children's story <laughs> 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 um one of uh one of the pictures could easily be you know if you don't obey God God's going to destroy
1: you. Or God's going to come after you. Yeah. God will not leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. That being said, though, if the if the central message of the story is a parable of inclusive mercy from God, one might suggests that God does not let go of God's desire to bring everyone into that, into that mercy. And,
0: and the reason why you would go with that interpretation and why I also would go with that interpretation is because to me, that is the thread that we see in the whole story. Mm hmm in the evolving story, we.
1: Yeah. Like sometimes people will make statements about the Hebrew Bible, the old Testament, about how, well, God is a certain way in the old Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we as Christians, we are new Testament people and the new Testament is so much different than the old Testament. And it's a story like the story of Jonah that makes it quite clear that there's actually a similar thread of understanding God in the Old Testament as being merciful and inclusive and graceful. And um, we see, uh, like, ends points to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew um, where enemy love is taught by Jesus and says this there is like a straight line between the story of Jonah and the story of Jesus teaching that we should love our enemies mm. so um, kind of challenges us to be i don't know, maybe not so quick to abandon what's going on in the Hebrew scriptures and move to the New Testament, there's actually, we can start seeing how God is actually working with the people to be people who are opening themselves up to the outsider. Pretty exciting, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's powerful. The straight line thing. That's, (laughs) that's interesting.
1: And, Let's just bring it to to today. Like bring bring it. Like if so, if this is uh, if the if the wisdom task of reengaging, like the way uh, just the way I wrote it down here, what is God up to today, right here, right now? Ends is saying that that's the question that the people who were writing Nahum were asking. It's also the the question that the people who wrote the book of Jonah seventy four years later. We're asking, and it's also the question that we're asking: is how do we understand God for today, right now? And here we have a very ancient story, the story of Jonah, that speaks directly to issues that we wrestle with in our time right now, around racial division, around um, various enemies that um, we've identified in the, in the world. And um, there's a message here that, from God's perspective, we are to make space for for the other, and um, and maybe by what's hinted by the story is we might want to learn how to do that with some good cheer and with some joy, um, not like Jonah did it, which was kind of like, I don't want to do it. Okay. I'll do it if I have to do it. Okay. I did it. Now I'm not happy that what happened because I did, it happened, which is you've saved the Ninevites. I mean, that's basically the story from Jonah's perspective.
0: I love how you talked about that. Um, and I also have this kind of inner fight or dialogue going on about, um, but that's not the wisdom so many people come to because it's very easy to read the story and come up with a different sense of who God is. Well, I get from the story that God is this way. And then, you know, another person comes and says, well, I get from the story that like there are serious consequences to pay and you're going to get destroyed. You know, this, um, and that the words are there, it's true i it just reinforces for me. I think that if we wanna find god um, find a picture of God that is violent, that is um angry, we have so many opportunities to find that God, mm-hmm. and then we have many opportunities to find you know, a a God of mercy and inclusion more than we could ever imagine. But this has been part of the battle of how we read the Bible is that it seems that the clearer, I want to even say the clearer words on the page lend us towards, maybe because we're just inherently violent people, but they lend us towards these images of God that are, that are more, um, retributive. And, um, so that, that's always going on too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, we shouldn't, we shouldn't downplay the voices in the Bible that might lead us in that direction. Like, um, yeah. We like might kind of be go ten- down we,
0: the path of exploring. Yeah. So what does destruction mean?
1: Yeah, so yeah. yeah, or or we just might be we just might um, be tempted to sort of shy away from the voices of of the Bible, and and in, in most cases, it's in the Old Testament. If you're thinking about the retribution of God, or you're thinking about the violence of God, these kinds of issues that are hard for us. Although it's quite clear that there's some of those voices in the New Testament as well but we might just want to sort of like, you know, fence them off and not go there. Right. And then let's try to focus on the areas that um, are more, we're more comfortable with and somebody else might just do the exact opposite. They'll right. they'll fence off the ones that are more inclusive and more merciful. And we'll try to highlight the ones that are more retru- retributive and, um, and violent. And um, both are, Both are a bit of a problem, I think. And I think what we've we've been given in this book by ends, when when we recognize the ancient, ambiguous, and diverse um, kind of aspects of the scriptures, when we have to take them seriously, the voices that seem different, retributive, merciful, both their voices are there, the engagement with the differences... And the ambiguities put us into a posture where we have to wrestle and discern and find wisdom in it. And that is a harder, it's a harder process in some ways, but um, it does take seriously the whole of the scriptures. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we're stuck not being able to find some direction because we're given a people who were finding direction in the midst of those voices, those, those different voices. So it's not like um, they had it all understood and figured out. And then they gave us something that's messy. It's, they've been dealing with the mess from the beginning and the mess is actually in the, in the documents. And then now we're invited into the mess and we have to find, find direction together and And, um, find a way through. We have to find a way through. So there's, um
0: if we see the if we see the story of Jonah as um a, a potential parable for us then and and we widen our lens in in a way to look at our current societal um predicaments and places of destruction i think it would be easy to 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 see that we are destroying ourselves and one another when we behave in such a way that we are seeing played out in our in race in um discrimination and God is wanting to save us from that. Mm-hmm. And if we don't listen, we will continue to destroy ourselves. So like if I you know not wanting to to just like interpret it in a way that is um not respectful to the to the text but i feel like there are some things that we can see if we can see it more broadly than as like an actual thing that happened and just make simple kind of interpretations
1: yeah i mean i think one of the things that comes out of it that's really can be really life-giving for us is we can on some issues approach them as saying, like, well, we've always thought about it in this way, and now we're being asked to change how we think about it. And so we somehow think that the way we've thought about it for a long time should somehow trump how we go go forward with an issue. And here we have in the scripture a a movement of thinking about things in a certain way and then over five, six hundred years developing a different Viewpoint about it, like a big part of the law that was came much earlier was a suggestion that you should have nothing to do with foreign people, do nothing mm-hmm. with foreigners, do not take foreign wives. Like this is one of the reasons why the people found themselves in exile. They believed that they were Solomon. Solomon took all these foreign wives, and they brought in foreign gods, and it and it affected you know the second commandment that you should have no other gods before me and um so there's this sense of like stay away from the foreigner like keep keep your distance and then here you have the story of Jonah and it seems like it's not keep your distance it's it's work with others God has space for others. This is this is a, a far different perspective. And so if we're dealing with a contemporary issue that we think, well, you know, in the 1950s we saw it in this way, and now you're going to say we saw it wrong, and then we say, well, look at the Bible. The Bible even has a perspective that this way of understanding things no longer is the way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And then we come to Jesus, and Jesus does... He even uses that language. He says, you heard it said, do it this way, an eye for an eye, and I tell you, no, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A complete shift in perspective. Both coming from the
0: law of God.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, so
0: we could probably talk for hours about that, but we should probably cut her off for today.
1: I'm a little bit surprised at how much... Uh, energy we got out of this conversation i kind of felt like oh we're talking about some repetitive issues but uh this was quite enjoyable to kind of wrestle through what the difference between Nahum and jonah actually shows us
0: yeah thanks ted and thanks for joining us anyone out there join us next time when we'll dig into chapter six uh what is god like i think we kind of started to get into that a little bit today but let's continue it next time
1: take care everybody